Welcome to the FCC Podcast. Hear all the stories, worship, and teaching from Sunday service. Want to connect with us or learn more about FCC? Visit us at FCCETown.com. So, the past couple weeks we've been in this series, Access Your Best Life. And what we're doing in this series is we're walking through the book of Romans and we're really studying it. And we're encouraging you guys to be studying it too, not just on Sunday here at church, but in your homes throughout the week to be diving deep into Scripture. You know, we've been giving you guys homework over the last few weeks, and this homework isn't just busy work. And uh, trust me, I remember when I was in high school, and some of you students are dealing with it right now, you guys understand what, what, it, what I'm talking about. Um, there were some teachers who, you know, when it seemed like there was nothing going on, so they just had to give something to fill the time and something for you to do, they just hand out busy work. But that's not what this is. Uh, we are not giving you guys busy work, but we, we believe these words that Paul writes in the book of Romans are important. They have an impact in, in our understanding of the grace and mercy of Jesus. And they're words that should be treasured and hidden in our hearts and read on, on more than just a Sunday. About a month and a half ago, we took our college students and young adults down to um, what's called the Passion Conference in uh, Fort Worth, Texas. And there was a message down there that had a really big impact on me. Um, there's a pastor whose name is David Platt, and he is a, he's a pastor at a church right outside of Washington, Washington D.C., and he spoke, and his message, um, it hit me, it resonated with me, and he, what he said is he started off this message by talking about Nehemiah chapter 8, and if you um, know what's going on in this context, in Nehemiah chapter 8, um, the people of God, the Israelites, had a deep desire to be in God's Word. So what would happen is that, that they would sit in the town square and Ezra would read aloud scripture from morning until midday. They would just sit there and they would listen to scripture being read and they would have a deep desire to just hear it. And then in his message, he went on to, to speak and preach from the book of Romans. And what he did was he, he spoke Romans chapter 1 through chapter 8 all from memory. That was his message. And what he went on to do was challenge us to, to be more into God's Word, to dive deeper into it, to study it, to memorize it. And he, he went on to share how there are Muslims, young Muslims who are growing up memorizing the Quran, memorizing something that leads to a false god. How there are also um, other parts of the world where Christianity is illegal, yet they are deeply desiring to be in God's Word. And he shared a story about how there was this one church they knew of, where it was a, it was a home church, and they would light a candle at night and have one person go out into this cave and they would go into the cave and they would remove some of the rocks and they would pick up the Bible and they would go back into their homes and they would just sit in a circle as one person with a candle read scripture aloud but they read it in a whisper so that they wouldn't get caught and get in trouble and how they had a deep desire to be in God's word and just hear it being read and so his message was a challenge and a conviction to all of us to be more in God's word to treasure it to delight in it to let it grow in our hearts. And so we're not asking you guys to memorize the whole book of Romans, although that would be pretty awesome. Um, but we do want to challenge you to dive deeper, to go and study scripture on more than just a Sunday. I know there are times we, we, we don't always want to read or we feel like there's other things we got to do, but, but we want to, our prayers that we would soak up his truth, to meditate on what his word says, to, to love spending time with him and, and his word above all else. Also, don't get the series twisted. How to Access Your Best Life is not a prosperity gospel series. This is not about how you'll be financially set. It's not about how you will 
um, go in life without suffering or, or have this perfect little life. No, it, it, we're studying the book of Romans because it's all about the grace and mercy that we've received in Jesus and how living a life in Jesus is truly living our best life. And so if life in Jesus is living our best life, then wouldn't we want to spend more time with him than just on Sunday mornings? And so we're walking through this awesome letter written by um, a man whose whole life was changed by an encounter with Jesus. And if you don't know who Paul is, Paul was the, the writer of this book, this letter, and he was a devout Jew, and I mean very devout. Like he knew the scriptures like the back of his hand. And, uh, and Paul spent part of his early life trying to stop this thing from spreading that was called the way, or Christianity. Um, and so what Paul would do is he, would, he, he, he was known to, to, to kill Christians and to have them arrested and persecuted. And then this Christian killer becomes a Christian because of his encounter with Jesus on the road to Damascus. It was the grace and presence of Jesus that changed him, and then he began to tell others about him, to live a life for him. And then that's later on in his life is where we get the letter he wrote to Rome. So before we get in this passage, we're going to read, uh, getting ready to read this morning. I want to go over a quick little context of what's happening here. So Paul wrote this to a specific group in a specific church, and it's a group that consists of both Roman or both um, uh, Jews and Gentiles. Now, a Jew is is um, is, is an Israelite. It's a uh, their follower of God, and, and a Gentile is everyone who is not a Jew. Um, and so, in this particular context, there's some tension going on in this church. There's some division. There's some um, questions about what do we do with grace and how does the law apply to faith and, and, and what do we do with our worldly desires and our fleshly desires. And so as we talked about in the beginning of the series, Stuart talked about how the beginning of the letter starts off by saying we've all sinned. We have all sinned and fall short of the glory of God and we all need a Savior, both the Jews and the Gentiles. How there is redemption and mercy and grace found in Jesus and this good news is for everyone. And then we read that while we are still sinners, Christ died for us. And then Christ calls us to live a life that is, is different from the way the world lives, to, to be set apart in our thinking and the way that we do, the way that we live. And then last week we talked about how we have all been given spiritual gifts. And I hope that you guys have taken time to do that spiritual gift survey because um, it's very uh, impactful and really helps. And so we've all been given spiritual gifts, things that we can use to edify the church and to, um, to extend the kingdom of God. And so that leads us to what we'll be into today. So if you have your Bible, you can go ahead and open to Romans chapter 12, verse 9. And let's get ready to delight in God's word. But before we get there, I want to do something real quick. I want to take time to pray as a church. I love what we did a few weeks ago, um, if you're here, when we were doing worship, and we took time to everyone, kind of every section, prayed for something different and lifted a request up to God. And I'd like to take a time before we get into God's word this morning that we would just pray as a church. Everyone, where you're at, at your seat individually, that we would pray for a couple things. That one, that we would pray that God would allow us to just delight in his word. Number two, that God would be the treasure of our hearts, that, that we would treasure God above all else. And then number three, that if there's anyone in here who doesn't know the love of Christ, that God may open their hearts and their eyes to see his grace and love and mercy. So, before we get into reading this passage, I want to just have a minute where we just pray at our seats by ourselves, and then I'll close us in prayer, and we'll, we'll dive into the scripture. Okay? Let's pray. God, we invite you into this place this morning. In the silence, you were there. You were working in all of our hearts. You were leading us to you. God, I pray that you would be 
our delight, that you would be our treasure, that you would open our eyes, open everyone's eyes to see the beauty of your love and grace and mercy. Thank you for chasing after us. Thank you for giving us your word and allowing us to freely dive into scripture today. God, let us not take this moment for granted and let us realize that you are here and you are doing work and we want to let you into that. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So Romans chapter 12, verse 9 through 12. This is what we're going to be looking at today. And this is what Paul writes. He says, Let love be genuine. Abhor what is evil. Hold fast to what is good. Love one another with brotherly affection. Outdo one another in showing honor. Be slothful. Do not be slothful in zeal. Be fervent in spirit. Serve the Lord. Rejoice in hope. Be patient in tribulation. Be constant in prayer. Contribute to the needs of the saints and seek to show hospitality. Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse them. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Weep with those who weep. Live in harmony with one another. Do not be haughty, but associate with the lowly. Never be wise in your own sight. Repay no one evil for evil, but give thought to do what is honorable in the sight of all. If possible, so as far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. Beloved, never avenge yourselves, but leave it to the wrath of God, for it is written, Vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. To the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him something to drink. For by doing so, you will, you will heap burning coals on his head. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. The word of the Lord. Now I want to read that again real quick in the message version. Um, I like what it says, and uh, it just gives a little different thought on it. And here's what, here's what the message translation says for this passage. It says, love from the center of who you are. Don't fake it. Run for dear life from evil. Hold on to dear life to good. Be good friends who love deeply. Practice playing the second fiddle. Don't burn out. Keep yourselves fueled in a flame. Be alert, servants of the master, cheerfully expectant. Don't quit in hard times. Pray all the harder. Help needy Christians. Be inventive in hospitality. Bless your enemies. No cursing under your breath. Laugh with your happy friends when they're happy. Shed tears when they're down. Get along with each other. Don't be stuck up. Make friends with nobodies. Don't be the great somebody. Don't hit back. Discover beauty in everyone. If you've got it in you, get along with everybody. Don't insist on getting even. That's not for you to do. I'll do the judging, says God. I'll take care of it. Our scriptures tell us that if you see your enemy hungry, go buy that person lunch. Or if he's thirsty, get him a drink. Your generosity will surprise him with goodness. Don't let evil get the best of you. Get the best of evil by doing good. So this header in, in, in this particular passage of my Bible names this part. and says, Marks of the True Christian. Marks of the True Christian. So my question for all of us after reading is are our lives marked by Jesus at work in these areas? Is he currently working on something or does he need to be working on something? Can I be honest for a minute? I struggle with this passage. This passage is, is hard because of what it requires of. It, it, I, I struggle to love genuinely, if I'm honest, because sometimes I just want to be liked or I don't want people to be mad at me. I want people to think highly of me, and so that's sometimes my motives. I struggle because I, I don't, uh, I struggle to bless those who persecute me because if I'm honest, I'd rather not bless them. I'd rather hope something bad happens to them if I'm honest. I struggle to be patient in tribulation because I just want God to take me out of whatever I'm going through right now. I struggle to, to not um, be wise in my own sight because if I'm honest, the pride that I, I struggle with wants me to be the best. 
I struggle to do good to those who are my enemies because if I'm honest, I just want to avoid them so I don't have to do any good to them. This passage can be difficult. But here's the thing. I think if we take a look at this passage that Paul writes and think, okay, how many of these have I completed? How many can I check off? I think we may get overwhelmed by how poorly we're, we're performing. We may feel like terrible Christians. But I don't think Paul writes this as a list to say, here's what you have to do to become a real good Christian. Like, I don't think Paul is writing this saying, you know, hopefully you can get 20 of these 30 things right. You know, we, we may think, okay, if I just get a couple more, I'll be pretty good. I'll be better than so-and-so. I think Paul makes it pretty clear, as we read earlier in the past couple weeks in Romans, that our righteousness, our status as believers, is not based on our own works. Our being right with God, our being called children of God, is nothing that we have earned or deserved, but rather by what Jesus has done for us. I think instead of this passage being a checklist of how to be a good Christian, it's rather showing where Jesus is at work in our life. It's rather someone, here is someone who Jesus has left his mark on. Because if we take a look at this passage, it's really about the heart and character of who Jesus is. And our job is, our our goal as Christians is to become more and more like him. We want to strive to be like him. But I think if we truly follow Jesus and we let the Holy Spirit work in our life, then we'll see these things come to fruition. We'll see these things, that God works on these things in our life. We'll have a conviction for some of these things. So instead of this passage being a checklist for here's all the things you have to do to be a good Christian, rather it's instead, here is someone who is marked by Jesus working in their life. And our best life is when Jesus is working in it. So now how do we know when Jesus is working in our life? Like Taylor, I'm with you. I struggle to be patient. I struggle to... Um, love my enemies. I struggle to not get revenge. How do I know that Jesus is at work in my life? Here's what I believe our response to this passage should be. Here's our goal. Our goal as Christians is to be disciples of Jesus. Now, when I say disciple, you you may think, okay, Taylor, that sounds very, like like a very Sunday school answer. But I really think our goal should be to become disciples of Jesus. And I think it goes deeper than what we really think. See, when we think of, we hear disciple or follower today, it's almost become sort of a cliche that's, it's very surface level. You th- we think of disciple or uh, follower of Jesus, it's almost like just following Jesus on Instagram or adding him as a friend on Facebook to where we see what he posts and talks about. We may like it if we agree with it, or we, we may engage with him sometimes whenever we need something or just want someone to talk to. But I think it's more than that. And we boil down to being a disciple or follower to something that's very basic. But if we go deeper, I think we'll discover real change. See, of all the things that Jesus was called, like Son of God and Redeemer and Messiah, the Christ, one of the things that Jesus was also known as and known for was rabbi. Rabbi is a term for a Jewish teacher. And uh, John Mark Comer is a pastor who helped me make sense of all this in the historical context because we kind of get lost in what a rabbi and a disciple really is. And so to be a disciple of a rabbi, think of a a student of a teacher, the disciples would have to go through a pretty extensive process to get there. It was a lot of schooling, and it was pretty hard. So what would happen is to be a disciple, to to get up to being this this step, is that first you had to go through some schooling. And the schooling meant that you had to, as a kid, memorize the Torah— which is the first five books of the Bible. Can you guys imagine trying to memorize Genesis through Deuteronomy? That's difficult. And so um, the next step, if, if for, 
Uh, around 12 years old is whenever they would have to have this memorized by. And for those who, who didn't make this step, they would go on to work with their families. And the best of the best would go on to the next step of schooling. And this next step was um, right off the side of the synagogue. There was a place that the boys ages about 12 to 15 would go. And the next step in schooling to become a disciple was to memorize the whole Old Testament. Holy cow, can you guys imagine that? That's a lot. Sometimes we struggle with, if you're like me, struggle with a couple verses at times. But the next step in being a disciple was to memorize the whole Old Testament. And again, for those who made it this far, the best of the best of the best would go on to the next step in this process. And the next step to be a disciple or a Talmudium in Hebrew, um, or as John Mark Comer puts it, an apprentice under, under a rabbi, is that they would have to be uh, to go through this really strict interview process. <clears throat> what the rabbi would do is they would sit the student down and they would interview him. They would just, you know, have all these questions um, about the Old Testament that they had to answer. <clears throat> and not only that, but questions about <clears throat> other rabbis' teachings. So they had to know all this sort of stuff, and then if they made it this far and the rabbi thought they were worthy, then they would ask the, the student, would you come follow me? In other words, would you be my disciple? And so to be a disciple of a rabbi meant three things. Number one, that you were sticking right next to the rabbi, that you were doing life with them, that you didn't leave their side, that you would go eat every meal with them, that you were with them all day, all night, that you were just right by their side. This was the first step to be a, uh, of being a disciple. And then the next thing a disciple would do is that they had to become like the rabbi, that they wanted to become exactly like them. Now today we kind of teach everyone that we're all unique, we're made different, and that's great, but back then the, the disciple wanted to be exactly like the rabbi, like a carbon copy, to walk the way they walk, talk the way they talk, teach what they teach. And so the third step was not only to do life with them, just to be right next to them or to become like them, the third step is to go do what they do, what they did. This is basically like the rabbi saying, like, here, it's your turn. Everything that you've taught, everything you've been taught, everything you've learned, now go and do this. Go and teach. And so this is what it looked like to be a disciple of a rabbi. Now Jesus was a rabbi, but his, his um, choosing process for disciples was a little bit different. He didn't require them to go through all the schooling or to go through a tough interview process, but it was a little bit different. And here's what we see. Mark chapter 1, verse 16 through 20 says this. Passing alongside the Sea of Galilee, he saw Simon and Andrew, the brother of Simon, casting a net into the sea. For they were fishermen. And Jesus said to them, Follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. And immediately they left their nets and followed him. And going on a little further, he saw James, the son of Zebedee, and John, his brother, who were in their boat mending the nets. And immediately he called them, and they left their father Zebedee in the boat with the hired servants and followed him. And then about a chapter later in Mark chapter 2, verse 13 through 14, here's what we also see. It says, he went out again beside the sea, and all the crowd was coming to him, and he was teaching them. And he passed by, as he passed by, he saw Levi, the son of Alphaeus, sitting at the tax booth. And he said to him, follow me. And he rose and followed him. And then one more chapter I want to look at. Next chapter, Mark chapter 3, verse 13 through 15, says this. And he went up on the mountain and called to him those whom he had desired, and they came to him. And he appointed the twelve whom he had named apostles so that they might be with him and he might send them out to preach and have authority to cast out demons. So here's what we see in, the, in Jesus' choosing process of his disciples. 
He didn't choose the most qualified. He didn't choose the, the best of the best, really. He didn't choose the most intelligent. He didn't choose um, the most popular. What he did choose is he chose the outcast. He chose the rejected, those who had, been, had not been accepted. In all of it, he asked them to come follow him. Now, when, when we say come follow me, again, that doesn't mean like they're just right behind him, walking beside him like his little gang, but this is more like Jesus is offering them to come disciple under him, to apprentice under him, to be like him, to learn from him. And then as we read in that last, that last chapter of Mark, to go do what he did, to go preach, to go drive out demons. And the good news is that Jesus offers all of us the ability to be his disciple. He tells all of us and offers all of us to come follow him, to apprentice under him, to, to do life with him, to learn from him, to become like him and to go do as he did. So, how does Jesus work in our lives? It happens when we truly follow Jesus. It happens when we accept the invitation to be his disciple, to apprentice under him. It happens when he becomes our rabbi, our teacher, when we learn from him, we do life with him, and he works in our hearts and our lives. Now, how do we follow him? If, if, if he is our apprentice, if Jesus is, if, if apprenticing under him is what makes us more like him, how do we, how do we follow him? I think part of what happens is through our habits and our relationships. Because our habits and our relationships are two of the things that form us into who we are and what we become. Think of our habits. What we continually do will form us into something, whether that's good or bad. About a year ago, my wife got me to do something I never thought I would do. She got me to sign up for a half marathon. And guys, when I tell you I didn't like running, hate was not a strong enough word for that. I did not like running. I'm a basketball player, and we ran, but it was all short distance. Um, and anytime we had to run like a mile or something, I dreaded it more than anything. I did not like it. Um, and I remember um, when, when she got me to sign up for this, this half marathon, I was thinking to myself, like, that's 13.1 miles. That seems like, to me, that seems like the whole country, like running across the whole country. It sounded awful. And what I knew was when we had signed up for this half marathon is that it meant that we were going to have to train for it. It meant that we were going to have to prepare for it, to run a lot to get into shape for this event. We were going to have to create a habit of running. And what's crazy what, was what happened over those six months of training for the, the half marathon. Um, first started off when we were training, and I hated it, didn't like it at all, um, did not look forward to running, even though it was like a mile that we started off with. And then as we continue to run, I noticed I changed from not really hating it to, to like, I don't love it, but it's, ah, eh, it's okay. And then I went from, ah, uh, it's okay to, all right, not too bad. Then from that to, okay, I, I kind of like this. I kind of enjoy it. And then from that to, okay, I'm actually, I look forward to running. Like, I look forward to, to pushing myself, to going further, to having a faster time. And then I went from that to, to being like, okay, I'm excited for this race. Like, I can't wait. Like, I'm excited to see what happens. And so then race day came, and I was pumped. I, was, I had adrenaline going. I wanted to get there early. I had my headphones in. My Rocky IV soundtrack was ready to go. Like, I was, I was just pumped. And it was the habit of running that turned me into something I never thought I'd be. Like, I got, I, today I have running shoes. I have all the gear. I have a group that I text, and we run together. And the habit of doing something is forming me into something. The habit of running formed me into a runner. Our habits will form us. The same is true with our relationships. The people that we surround ourselves with 
will form us into something. Again, whether that's good or bad. I remember when I moved to college, um, and, and the, the relationships I created in college had, had kind of had an impact on me. I went from Bloomington, Indiana, down to Knoxville, Tennessee. Um, and, and when I was in Bloomington, I, I like never changed at all. I was the type of guy who, to high school, I always wore sweatpants and sweatshirt when it was cold, and um, basketball shorts and a t-shirt when it was warm. Like I never changed my style, always at the same buzz cut, um, always wore the same stuff. And then when I moved to, to Knoxville to go to college and became friends with some Tennesseans and uh, all the people down there, <laughs> um, I found myself, by the, the people I surrounded myself with had an impact on me. Uh, I went from the, the, the guy who always wore sweatpants and sweatshirt and buzz cut, uh, it, growing into someone who would grow my hair out and style it, and I, I got chacos, which if you don't know what those are, they're like sandals, and uh, Patagonia, and North Face, and all these flannels, and I just had, had changed my style and everything because of the company that was, I was around. And, and I even found myself wanting to drink coffee, which I never liked before. Uh, my, my style and music had changed. The things uh, about me had changed because of the people I surrounded myself with. My point is that the habits that we create and the relationships that we form will form us into something, whether that's good or bad. And Jesus offers all of us the ability to come into a relationship with him. He offers all of us to come follow him, to do life with him, to disciple under him, to apprentice under him, to learn from him, to become more like him and do what he does. So what is this best life we've been talking about? It's loving people, it's giving, it's serving, it's living in peace, it's rejoicing in hope, it's being constant prayer, all the things we talked about in that, in that passage in Romans. It's becoming like the image of Christ. And the way that happens is through accepting the offer to come follow him, to be a disciple of him, to, to, for him to be our rabbi, and to apprentice under him, to, do relation, to be in a relationship with him. I'll close with this. What is a habit that you need to start today that will allow Jesus to do work in your life tomorrow? Is it the habit of daily prayer? Not only just praying, but, but listening to God. Not talking at God, but listening to him. Is it the habit of, of daily spending time in his word? Have we been doing our homework? Is it, is it the daily habit of maybe starting your day off with God's word? Or right before you go to bed praying? What is a habit that you can start today that will help you in your relationship with Jesus? I'd like to offer us all just a little bit of homework before we close. I want to challenge us with this. I want to challenge us all. Here's, here's my homework for the week. It's a little different. I want to challenge us all to, to fast one day this week as a church. To fast. What fasting means, if you don't know what that is, fasting is... Um, is taking a day off of not eating any food, and if you can't do a whole day, maybe you can do a part of a day. Um, but you can also, if, if you want, you can fast from social media or your phone or TV. But I want to encourage us all to fast one day this week um, because the purpose of fasting is to say no to your fleshly desire and to turn to God and say, God, I want you more. To say, God, I may be really hungry right now, but God, I am more hungry for you and your word. God, I, I may really want to be on my phone right now, but God, I want you more. Because I believe that if we 
do that, if we say no to our fleshly desire and turn to God and say, God, I want you more, I think that'll help us to be more disciplined, to have more self-control, to create these habits that will help us in our relationship with Christ. Because our goal as Christians is to become more like Jesus. Our desire is to be formed into the image of Christ. And it happens through the relationships that we create and the habits that we form. And going back to the beginning, if we treasure him above all else, if we desire him more than anything, if we delight in his word, we will see these things come to fruition in our life. We will see a change happen where we become more like the image of Jesus, that he will, will give him the space to work in and through us. Again, Romans chapter 12, verse 9 through 21, is not a checklist to say, here's what you have to do to become a real good Christian, but rather, here is the marks of someone who whom Jesus is at work in their life. Here is someone who has accepted Jesus as a rabbi, as a teacher, and is apprenticing under him. And the good news is that apprenticeship, that discipleship, is available to all of us if we just accept it. Jesus knocks at the door of our heart, waiting for us to let him in. And he will work in and through us if we just let him in, if we do life with him, if we choose to say yes to a relationship with him. Let's pray. God, we thank you for that you have chosen us. God, while we were still sinners, that you died for us. God, that you love us enough to, to call us your children. That you offer the invitation to accept you and to be in a relationship with you and to learn from you and, and grow in you. And God, I thank you for the work that you've done in our lives. Um, God, I pray that if there's anyone in here who needs to accept that invitation, that you would just put it on their hearts, God, because our best life is found in you and through you and when you're working in us. God, I pray that you'd work in this church, that you would do a work here that we can't explain or fathom. God, may we, we see you doing stuff in, in, in the way that we think about people, think about others, the way that we serve, the way that we give. May you lead us to become more like you. God, we, we need you. We need your spirit in us to be working through us. So God, we just pray this morning that you would do what only you can do. And may we just accept that invitation and go along for the ride to see how you will lead us and guide us, God. We love you and we thank you for the freedom that we have to worship you this morning. We just pray that we would put you above all else and delight in you more than anything in this world because you are the one who fulfills and sustains. And it's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen.